What's up guys, Michael James with Beyond the Forbidden. If you want to receive extra content that's not viewed anywhere else, support Beyond the Forbidden on Patreon to receive plus content that is only exclusive to members of Beyond the Forbidden. Content like the full two-hour podcast, bonus shows, full-length video interviews, behind-the-scenes footage with guests, and much more. So what do you have to lose? Go to patreon.com forward slash beyond the forbidden. That's patreon.com forward slash beyond the forbidden and become a member of Beyond the Forbidden for just five bucks a month. And also check the description for the links. Coming to you from an undisclosed location somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere waiting out the alien apocalypse. She is armed with a machete and a microphone. Join Michael James as he seeks answers to the paranormal, conspiracies, ancient mysteries, and the occult. Are you ready to trip the fuck out? This is... Beyond the Forbidden. All right, welcome to Beyond Forbidden. Today on the show, I got a man I haven't talked to in a while, Grant Cameron. Welcome to the show. How you been? Good, Michael. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Let's have a little, uh, nice little chat. Oh, yeah. And um, it's been, I don't know if it was 2018 or 19. Uh, we last chatted in person at the Ozark UFO conference. Okay. And uh, that, that was a really good discussion. I believe we talked, of course, about uh, UAPs and um some some of the stuff related to that and also i believe portals uh yeah. first off is there anything new according to that to the research with some of the portals i remember you mentioning that with that in-person interview that we had um let's see if that was 2018 yeah I there th is i think it was 18 i believe it was 18 yeah there was a big event happened at um at shasta in 2020 with these um they, they call them not portals they call them um zendras so this is the Mission Rama group. Uh, it was originated out of, out of Peru in 1974. There's about 25,000 of these people around the world. And it's like a C5 protocol, very religious sort of protocol. And they sort of raise their vibration and the aliens reduce their vibration. And, and then they'll, from time to time, they'll open these, what they call Zendras, where it'll open up and uh, they can take as many as seven, they take seven people at a time into the Zendra. And I, I've, re I've sort of documented the ones that they'd had in 2014, 2015, where uh, I actually interviewed the people who were in the Zendra because they were at the event I was at. And uh, they basically said there was this 10 foot tall being standing there with long hair. And uh, they all had different uh, impressions of, of what they were being told in their head. And um, I would ask the one guy, I said, well, oh, is that, is, that, is that the first time you saw it? He said, oh, no, I've seen it lots of times. And I said, how many times did you see Antarel was the name of the being that was in the in the Zendra? And he said, oh, I don't know. It's like five times, maybe more. And I'm going, holy cow, because <laughs> they sort of follow around when they hear there's a uh, an event by one of these groups. They'll go and they're, they're up on Mount Shasta up and the, and the sand flats about 4,000 feet up. And I was there in 2018, 2019. I wrote two books. One was uh, uh, Portals and UFOs at Mount Shasta, where I talk about the whole... Uh, portal technology and what the government may have. And I sort of believe that the government, I don't think has anti-gravity technology, but I think they may have portal technology. They may understand how this portal thing works. And and that's how I believe they're popping in and popping out. They're not flying in from, you know, with uh, a big, huge spacecraft. And so uh, I documented when I was there and there was an event, they have what's called a, um, um, a, programmed, a programmed sighting. So what it does is it gives the exact time and the exact place when the sighting is going to take place. And they had given the time of 9.33 on August the 19th, 2017. So I was there and this thing started to flash over my head exactly at 9.33. It was pretty impressive, even though it was the, the object wasn't impressive. But the, the fact that they had two, two people there had actually predicted the time. And of course, we were at the right place. 
And so I, I sort of kept an up on, on these people and the, the Zendras that they open and stuff like that and how it might work. And uh, then in 2020, they had an event there in the middle of COVID. They were supposed to have 111. And one of the beings, his name is uh, Adama, had promised that he would come if they got 111 people there. And they only got about 45 there. But um, what happened there was a couple of my friends were there and they were telling me the stories of, of, of what had happened there. And I don't think he, they even realized the significance. The first thing they got was in the middle of the afternoon, they had an event, a, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's sort of like a, a meditation prayer event where they all lie on the ground sort of in a circle. And then they have these rose petals on top of them. They throw these rose petals on top of them, paper rose petals. And they're lying there and it looks like a scene from some mass murder sh shooting or something. It looked really <laughs> weird, but they panned the camera. They asked Adama sort of telepathically whether they could film this. And Adama said, yeah. And as they panned the camera, there was a, an object, looked like somebody in a robe in standing on the edge of the trees. And the, the, they could see the person there. And then they panned the camera and then they panned the camera back. And that person had actually moved to the next tree over. And there was a, a shadow on the, on the, the forest behind you, there was actually a shadow being cast by this thing standing there. And that was the first thing that they discovered. This was in the afternoon. And then that night, a lot of people that usually most of these events, they don't allow you to go down to the Mount Shasta hotel and stuff like at the bottom of the hill, you're supposed to stay there and, and sleep there up in the, uh, but a lot of people find it very, very, very cold and, and they don't like it. So they go down. So a lot, most of the people had actually gone down. There was only a few people and they were having a birthday party. This was two o'clock in the morning. They're having a birthday party. And I don't know if you've ever been to sand flats, but it's sort of like, no. um, they're, 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 oh, it's just massive trees. And then there's this one area. It's all made out of sand. It's sort of a, a field. And it's all, there's no trees in this field. And they have this road running through and it goes higher up into the mountain and, and uh, this sort of stuff. So it's, that's why it's called the sand flats. And they were in the middle of this sand flat. They're sitting in this open area in, uh, in this field in the sand. And then all of a sudden, one of the women, they had, uh, there was nine people there in this circle. They were sitting in a circle and they were having this birthday party. And then the one woman said, Adama's here. And then they said, how do you know? And she said, I just know. I just know he's here. And they said, oh, well, how do you know? And then she says, right over there, look. And she in the trees, she points to this light in the trees. And everybody always makes the same comment. They say, oh, it's just uh, somebody having a, you know, with their uh, camp camp thing. They, they got a light going or whatever. It's nothing. And then she said, no, 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 no. I, I know that's them. And then she said, hang on. She says, they say, they say they want us to come over there. And then um, they, they, they didn't go because they were, they, if you've been there, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And they have like potholes and, and you'd break an ankle, someone would break an ankle trying to go across this field in, in this pitch darkness. So um, they said, um, well, we don't want to come over there. We, it's too dark. We, we don't want to come over there. And then the, this voice tells this, this intuitive lady from Mexico City, says to her, oh, okay, then we'll come there. And these nine witnesses, and I interviewed three of them on camera, and um, they they basically all confirmed their story was that it sounded like a bunch of elephants coming across the the sand flats, and it was this bum, 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 these these wow. elephants coming, and and it came closer, and these the, the people started to get really scared, and all of a sudden they levitated into the air. So these nine people were levitated up into the air, and they're sitting there, and they didn't know what to do, so they all had held hands, and they started to om, and this being appeared. Adama, who's again got the sort of the long hair, like the like 1950s style aliens, the long hair and very beautiful looking, you know, wearing the robe because it's this religious thing and it sort of reflects whatever your belief is. It'll sort of, I think, reflects the belief. So these people are very religious. They're all Roman Catholics from, you know, Latino countries and uh, Latinos in in, in uh, California. So anyway, they were um, they were they were oming, and then these beings started to om at, at, at as well. And uh, Adama was there with these other beings. That's what I was told. And so um, they started oming, and then they said, and it sounded like we were underwater. And as soon as I heard that, I said, oh, they were in a zendra, because that's what people will report. There's so many people have been in these zendras that they will report that you sort of at an angle, like the, the gravity isn't proper. You're sort of off on an angle, on, a, on an angle like this. And when you talk, it sounds like you're underwater. So these people said the weirdest thing was we were oming and it sounded like we were underwater. So I'm going, oh, they're inside of Zendra. And then these beings were there and um, they, 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 were, they were really, really frightened by this whole event. 
And then I asked the one guy, at first they said, well, they really didn't want to talk. And well, you know, we don't want to, you know, identify who was there and stuff like that. And then by the end of the interview, they're all fighting to talk. You know, they wanted to all tell the story. <laughs> and the one guy from San Francisco, I remember I asked him, I said, uh, so how many, how many beings were there with Antrell? He said, there was as many beings as there was trees in the forest. I said, really? I said, yeah, there's like hundreds of beings. And there were these, uh, um, the other beings were like energy beings. So there was Adama and then all these energy beings there. And uh, they said when they, when they went, when it, I said, how long did it last? And they said, we have no idea how it lost. We lost any sense of time or whatever. And then when it was over, they went to their tents and they said that during the, the it's the ones that, that uh, were uh, awake because they said most of these people couldn't sleep after this. And they said, you could see them walking around and because there's um, a little bit of light. There's a, um, uh, like keep people who are up and stuff. And as the morning was coming, they could see people walking around and they, some of the people actually left. Uh, they just waited for it to get uh, light out, which is only a couple hours and they left. They were so scared. So uh, they, they were going to do a, a documentary. I was actually contacted or I contacted the um, a guy whose name is, uh, oh, I'm going to forget his name. Um, he's an assistant. He's thought he would help Ron Pendolfi who is the uh, former CIA guy now. I think he's mm. with um, with Defense Intelligence. But um, I, for, I and, think I know who you're talking I, about. So I, I went to him and I said, oh, okay, we, we have another Zendra because Ron Pendolfi was going to send this guy to when we went to California in 2017 and uh, to see what was going on. And this guy had been through a Zendra. Or he'd been through a, a portal and he described to me. And then I said, uh, I said, um, okay, we've got another case. And now we got nine people that were levitated into the air and they're inside a Zendra because I can tell because of the water thing. And um, um, I said, isn't it about time that you start, you identify to me what the CIA knows about, about uh, portals and Zendras. And he said, okay, I'll make you a deal. You get these people on a TV show, we'll set it up. You uh, get these people on a TV show and I will tell you the story of what the CIA knows about, uh, about uh, portals. And then it went back to the Latinos and the girl who was uh, translating for me actually had worked for the Pendolfi. She had helped them out, you know, uh, uh, babysit the daughter and uh, take care of the barn and stuff like that. She wasn't getting paid. She was just sort of helping them out and stuff like that. And she had had a sort of a, a disagreement with the with the Pandolfis and actually moved back to California. She's a works over a law firm there and she went back to California and then she was the translator. But she is, she went and told him, oh, don't get involved. This is all CIA. They grants these are CIA people, and, and all these people just scattered. <laughs> so we never got the story. But we did get three of these people on tape telling this story of this uh, unbelievable story in 2020. And again, it's the idea of the of the portals of the the um, that that's how they're they're coming in. They're sort of creating this whatever it is in time and space, and they pop in and they pop out. Almost like if you've seen my emails, I have a. Uh, uh, UC Ronan, who's a, a an experiencer out of Israel, who talks about this. The beings told him, "When we come into your world, we have a we have a form, and we don't have to use that form. We can use whatever form we want, and uh, we need it to be in your world. But other other than that, we don't have a form, and you have the same ability to do it. You just don't know it." So it's this idea that they're popping in, they're popping out, or almost like the Leslie Kane story, if you've ever seen that story, where the hand yeah. comes in during the seance and she touches it and it's happened like three or four times in the seances. That's basically, I think, what's going on there. They're popping in and they're popping back out. And I think that there is a chance that people in the intelligence agencies at least understand this is this is what's going on. So I think it's obvious, people that are listening and or watching this, that that you you are your full throttle people can just hear you talk and just know that you take this subject matter not just this ufos uh consciousness yeah. everything people that's yeah. been following you and just hearing your voice you take this serious it's no bs like you take this serious and you can tell that there's a spark a drive in you well, well after all these years of research well, what keeps you going uh grant well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the reason that, that, that I have that is because I was, when I had my first sighting in 1975, or the second sighting, the first sighting, it flew right in front of the car. So then I was sort of floored and went, holy cow, this is for real. I mean, I just. You can curse like, on this show, by the way. What's that? 
you can curse on this show, by the way. Yeah. And and so <laughs> it was it was one of these things where uh, people say, well, you know, it's anecdotal. Well, let me tell you what. Uh, I know people who have had the experience know you're the believer. If if you say, oh, I just know what you you do not know what people think. You you just think you know if you you believe. And the only people that really know are the people that have been face to face with this phenomenon. They know you don't have to tell me what I saw. So any exactly. the second night it it came towards me and then it flew made this left hand turn. It sort of flew off. And I remember the second night I was looking out and going. Well, what's it doing? Because it was in this small town called Carmen, Manitoba, which is a nothing. It's just like it's in the middle of the prairies. It's very cold here. It's a farming town. They don't have any industry. They don't have any military. They don't have anything. I'm going like, oh, what's it doing in Carmen? Like, because it's been two <laughs> nights and two nights and I, uh, I was two for two on two nights. And then I'm thinking, what's it doing? And so uh, that's why I went on this pursuit is I figured, well, you know, I was so floored by what I'd seen. And um, I had this religious background, so I, I was always interested in trying to figure out, you know, why am I here, what's going on, and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I started this whole pursuit where I went after the Canadian government, then I went after the, the presidents of the United States, Dr. Eric Walker at Penn State University, you knew what was going on. And I'm trying to find out where's the answer. And it was in 2012 when I had this consciousness experience where it said it's all, it's all consciousness. And then I really got going. I sort of, uh, I mean, then I really got inspired to, to push it because um, I was starting to get somewhere. And I've actually even had just in the last couple of days, I had another um, um, intuitive download, uh, which has to do with um, um, it's used by a lot of people who are believe in the random theory of evolution, uh, atheists and stuff. They'll use this idea that your brain that when you when you they put people in front of a, a machine or like a, a clock and they say, push the button whenever you want. And they're, they're, they they make this statement that uh, the brain has up to three seconds earlier than when you de you decide to push the button. Your brain is already making an activation, yeah. which means your brain is telling you what to do, which means you have no free will. And so I looked at that in the last couple of days. And it, to me, it's always like a chess game. It's like figuring this out. So I, I looked at them and I said, well, that's pretty good data. I got it. There has to be an explanation for this. And then I was sitting there and I was... Um, I do meditating, although now I sort of fall asleep because I'm on these very heavy drug drugs that the painkillers until the 10th of, of January. But anyway, I, I I go to sit down and then I, it was sort of like this indirect thing that said, uh, check the time, check the time, TV, check the time. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. And then I'm going I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I know it. I know what this is. This is check on a TV. And, and I checked and sure enough, a TV, when you send the signal to a TV, TV from a radio station because the analogy we always use is that your brain is a radio receiver or mm -hmm. a, a, a TV. That's all it is. And it's taking a signal from somewhere else. And they're saying, no, no, there's no signal. But this is the whole deal is that the brain three seconds before uh, is already active. So uh, when I check the TV, it's exactly 1.5 to three seconds. So the signal comes into the back of the TV, then it goes through the TV and it goes all this sort of stuff through the electronics, which would be the brain. And then it becomes conscious when it goes on the front screen. There's a three second delay, same thing, which would indicate that the, um, the, uh, the signal is coming from outside the brain. And it says, uh, you, you're saying, okay, push the button. So the, the thing says, okay, push the button. The signal goes into the brain, the brain lights up and at three seconds. And then at the end of three seconds, it goes into the consciousness and the person pushes the button. So it's that, that same three second delay. So it's, th it's things like that where, where suddenly something I get makes sense and you go, wow, you know, it's like I'm getting mm -hmm. somewhere here, you know, and you start yeah. to figure this out. So 100%. I'm going to write a paper about this. And that, that's what sort of keeps me going is that I, I think the problem is in some ways solvable. And that, that's why I always try to listen to people. I always tell people who are new in the business or whatever, whatever, whatever you think, like a lot of people get into, you know, stories about they don't believe this guy, they believe that guy, almost like into religions and stuff like that. And I always say, whatever, whatever you believe, take a look at the people who are at the top, like Kit Green, John Alexander, Hal Putoff, all these guys. I don't care if you believe them, you don't believe them, whatever. Listen carefully. These guys know more than you do. I know for a fact they know more than you do. And mm -hmm. and from time to time, they'll let something slip. And they'll say something, and then you'll go, oh, I, I never heard that before. And I, I get these sort of instances where, uh, you know, people will say something. I'll give you an example. Uh, that just happened. Uh, so um, I, I'm a big Michael Newton fan. I don't know if you've ever researched Michael Newton's Life Between Lives and stuff like that. 
and he has oh. 7,000 people. So what he does is he was a clinical psychologist. And what he would do is he would regress people to their past life, the last one. And then he would let them die. And he'd say, okay, you're, you're dying. And the person would go, yeah, I'm dying. And they say, okay, what's happening next? Oh, I'm leaving my body. Okay, what's happening next? <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the tunnel. Okay, what's happening next? Oh, my, my, my father's there. My grandmother's there. You know, all this sort of stuff. Okay, what's happening next? And he would take them all the way back. And they would go into this sort of a terminal. And they would go down. And they could see these, these lights. And they'd say, what's all the lights? That's a soul groups and and they're going back to their soul group and then they get greeted by the soul group and he goes through 7,000 people and everybody says the same thing. One of the things that they have on the way back is just before you you meet up with your soul group, you go in and what's what people sometimes refer to as a life review and you have between three and 12 people on a dais, say like a it almost like a like a courtroom. They've got the yeah. sense it's a courtroom and these people and they've got these medals that are the size of of oranges and everybody describes the same thing and then they ask you one question how did it work out and and because you planned it you you planned your life you're going to go in and it's all predestined you you decided what you're going to do and how did it work out did you learn love did you learn compassion whatever and uh there's no you can't bring in your brother-in-law your mother the dog ate the homework you can't bring anything it's all about you so anyway i that that's having that background I heard Jim Semivan, and I know if you've interviewed Jim Semivan. So Jim Semivan's no. doing an interview with James Ian Dolly. So I'm listening, and all of a sudden, he, I, I knew his experience because I knew it through Melinda Leslie. I knew uh, basically a lot more than other people know about what happened to him. And he tries to keep it personal. He says they're working on it, whatever. But he mentioned something that he had never mentioned before. So he says, so I'm standing there. He was asked a question. Was there any telepathy? And he said, yeah, in fact, he says, uh, I remember standing with my wife, just standing there, and there was this entity behind me, sort of a guardian type thing going on. That's what he said. There's this this entity behind me, sort of this uh, guardian type thing going on. And I went, Michael Newton. That's Michael Newton. And I'm going, oh, it's one of these crossovers with the spiritual world. So when you go in front of this panel, you stand there in front of the panel and you have all these these three to 12 people in these robes or whatever. And you can't really see their faces, which is the same as the alien thing. You can't see their faces. And behind you, on the left side, your spirit guide stands behind you. So when he said there's an entity standing behind me and it's got this guardian type thing, I'm going, that's his guardian angel standing behind him as he's this abduction thing. And he said, and he, if you hear him talking about his abduction, I'm upset. I mean, it, was, it took violated my civil rights and all this kind of stuff. And yet you, you hear this thing about the, the, um, the person behind him. And that came across. I just released a book called uh, UFO Sky Pilots. And UFO Sky Pilots talks about 36 witnesses that I have that all claim they've flown the flying saucer. And they will say all there was not all of them, but there was uh, a group of them would say the same thing. They would go on the ship. I had one, one guy who was a U.S. Air Force retired colonel out of, out of Los Angeles who told me the story. And he said, I th it seemed like a dream. I said, everything's just a dream. Just tell me your dream. <laughs> you had this because I was I was amazed. That this, this guy had flown F-16s, had this experience of flying the flying saucer. So I said, Did you just tell me your dream. Tell, tell me what happened. So he says, I go on the ship, he says. And, and I'm on the ship and I'm standing there and there's pe there's people behind me and I don't know whether they're human or alien. And I'm standing there and this voice behind me says, OK, go ahead and do it. It's the same thing. Somebody behind him and they don't know what it is. Like uh, he thought it was a, an alien or a uh, a person. And Luel, uh, Semivan thought it was an entity that was a, had a guardian type thing about it. And and then he this so this re retired colonel says, I don't know what to do. And the voice says, you know what to do, just do it. And then you get this whole consciousness thing that 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 came across where when I first heard it, I knew that this was this was something that I had to follow up on. And that is that they put their hand on a panel and everybody says the same thing. All 36, 37, 38 people. And now Whitley Strieber, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing uh, being interviewed by Whitley Strieber, and Whitley Strieber has confided to me he's flown the craft as well. And they, I guarantee you, Whitley will describe exactly the same thing that these people describe. You put your hand on a panel, you put your hand on a ball, you put your hand on a panel on the wall, you put your, you sit in a chair that's built for you, like it fits your body, and you mm -hmm. put your fingers in the end of this chair, and then they tell you it's within you. 
Michael, it's within you. Go within. Where do you want to go? And the person goes within, like the one guy said, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And he said, it's within you. Imagine it. And he said, within one second, he said, he looked out the window and there was the Milky Way. And that was this idea that it may be all inside of us, that there is no out there out there. As, as John Wheeler, the, the famous physicist from Princeton said, there's no out there out there. It's the out-of-body experience idea that you're not going anywhere. You're going within your body or like a, a remote view. Where does the remote viewer go when when he's is does he actually just sort of go out uh, to to Egypt when they when they get a say they give him a target like the uh, the pyramids or something so they give him the target number six seven three four five three it's just a number and then the guy says okay I'm over the target instantaneously he's over the target and he it's like he goes in within himself and he finds the target within because as as if you've uh, seen the meditation that. Uh, Greer does, he always references the Sufi expression. You, th you see yourself as a puny being when within you, the entire universe is unfolded. Then it starts making sense when the alien says, we've always been here. That's what they told me. I said, are you extraterrestrial? And they said, do you want us to be extraterrestrial? We can be extraterrestrial if you want. We can even take you to our planet if you want. But no, we are not extraterrestrials. We've always been here. You're the visitor. And that's this idea they've always been here and everything's, oh, they're hiding under the water or whatever. It may be this idea that it's all here. Like if there's no time and space, you get quantum physics, the idea that, that time and space may be illusions. If time and space are illusions, how big is the universe? It may be just a dot. That's it. It's all within you. It's all one thing. You're not, nobody's going anywhere. You're just going within yourself. And it's this portal idea. You go through the portal. It's all laid on top of each other, like decks of a card. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going anywhere. There's no time. There's no space. And when you, when you start getting these things where these, these people start telling this story about flying the craft, and the idea is they, they become one with the craft and you the number one message of the aliens is always oneness it's always you you know how the world will unite if faced with a threat from an alien race how we the world we're all one people and we're we're dividing and we're fighting each other we, we think there's separation there's no separation you, your brother is everybody and and this sort of thing so they say you become one with the craft the craft is alive they will say this, the craft is grown, it's alive, and you become one of the craft, and you can think. The craft is you, the, you are the craft, and is whatever you think is where the craft is going to go. And so that's this whole idea. And everybody says the same thing, exactly the same thing. I become one with the craft, that I could I could sense the craft was alive. So many people even give it a name. They had, they had a name for the craft, and they would talk to the craft. And I, I had a couple of people who were talking to the craft. And that's this whole idea that that you start to figure out more and more about this thing but it gets more and more complex the more you think especially if it's all within you if it's all within us it's all one thing then all bets are off how complex mm -hmm. this thing's gonna get i i think it's gonna be way more complex than people think like people just think very very uh anciently almost like you know the flat earth it looks like they're coming from across sp space we're looking for giants flying saucers and stuff and they may tell us that kind of stuff or they say we're from mars or just to keep us going that as we progress they they, they started they were at mars and then when we had discovered that there was uh, other uh star systems then they said oh we're from zeta reticuli and then we, we realized there was multi-dimensions then they say oh we're from the fifth dimension the 11th dimension the 12th dimension and it's almost like as we progress in our thought they change as to where they're coming from whereas in fact now they're starting to say no we're at we've always been here it's all one thing we are here you're here it's all one thing and that's the the idea that this this thing with the craft is so important with this these 36 people are flying the craft is because it, it confirms this fact that it it may be just a conscious phenomena it's it's way more complex than we think and that's how they do it and that the out of the abduction experience may not be abduction at all if, especially if you've got soul guides behind you you think oh it's abductions they're taking us they're getting our sperm and they're whatever whatever and when you start hearing stuff like that when i hear that i went immediately i said that's michael newton that's the that's a the and so i asked uh james and dolly i haven't got an answer back from semivan to ask semivan what side was the what side was the being on and it should be on the left hand side if he's if it is a soul guide and that's the whole thing so he's not saying soul guide but when you when you start going through the literature you realize that's the thing or ron johnson tells me when he goes to um he goes to he's taken uh three times to the spirit world 
and he's a very religious guy. And the third time, he's actually interacting with his mother. You can see his mother. He's walking around with his mother, and there's this, he calls it like a temple thing there. And, and his mother says, when you die, you're going to get a room in this temple, your father and I. And he gets to see it. And it opens up, and you can see this, where his father, these rooms where his father is and stuff like that. And, and he says, when I go into the building, he says, the weirdest thing was, he said, it was like, it was way bigger. It was like 10 or 100 times the size on the inside as it was outside. And I said, hey, that's Chris Bledsoe. That's Terry Lovelace. That's that's everybody's describing the craft is bigger on the inside than it is outside. And he's describing the same thing in the spirit world. When you hear that, you realize it's all crossed over. It may be all the same thing. And all you're getting is a different interpretation, a religious interpretation, an alien interpretation that we're having these experiences. And it's all like this video game and, and everything is made of consciousness and, and it can be manipulated. And we're parsing. We're saying, oh, no, there's aliens and or the, the God exists. The aliens don't exist. And we're trying to parse it and have our own little thing and not realizing it's all one thing it's all connected and and that's the way i where i wanted to go with the consciousness and, and perfect segue um now i've i've contemplated this and i've listened to you um many interviews and lectures also and other researchers also authors and um yeah when it comes to consciousness the only thing I, I, it's hard to put your your finger on it and i have interviewed also many many people with assimilation theory i'm not talking about technically like a video game you know yeah. that's the only reference we have you know so it so it seems it seems like a stupid idea to think about that because that's the only reference we have but think on a grand scale of things how are we all interconnected is it like the matrix in a way in a way i'm not saying technically like the matrix or technically like a video game because mm -hmm. that's the we use those references because, like I said, that's the only reference that we have to, to kind of go on. So if we're all connected and with these stories that you talk about with these people that are that get onto the craft or they're, they're flying these craft and they they they, th they think about it and they appear, boom, outside the Milky Way. And and you, you said a few other ones while ago, I forgot what they are, but it's almost it makes me think that we were hooked into this cosmic internet, this cosmic web, almost like the matrix type something. It's, I wish we had a better reference point instead of just assimilation theory. Um, do you think that consciousness is something to where we create our own reality? Like we create like those thoughts, like are they technically physically in that craft? going to the outside Milky Way or it's actually happening, but maybe not on this, this dimension or there's so many variables that we can throw at this picture. You, you see what I'm saying, Grant? Like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around. I can help with these. I mean, in terms of the, the Milky Way, it's the whole concept is that there may not be any time and space. The Milky Way is not out as far as we think it is. It's, it's inside us that the, it's inside us with everything else, almost like this, you know, the, the, the Greer thing, the, the universe is folded within you. And when you see that, uh, uh, or you see the Maya version of Hinduism, that it's like a dream. So the way I look at it, it's not like a video game because the video game, it's always people get into, well, then you need somebody, a computer guy that's running it. And every so they're translating it from the computer world. Yeah. And it's like, everything's computers and the computers, are, it's, it's all information yeah. or Jacques Vallée will call it, oh, it's all information. But if I, what I say is if it's a noun, if someone says it's information, it's a video game, it's wrong. It is not a noun. It's a verb. And that's what people describe with the craft. The craft is alive. It's all alive. We oh. are all connected. And and so the, that that's where we, we get off. So what I say is God did, not, God did not create the heaven and the earth. God created the sparks of the divine, which is us. And we created the heavens and the earth. If you look back on on uh, a Chandler, uh, the one that started the whole New Age movement, uh, Seth, Seth said, you manifest everything around you. There is no other rule. So the idea is everything is made of consciousness. We're making this idea, oh, it's a noun. It's a, it's a, there's levels, there's colors. There's, no, no, there's none of that stuff. There's, it's all a verb. It's all one thing. So we, the, we, we come out and we start with a very basic universe and we're, we're creating it. It's getting more complex as we go along. So what's happening is you have a, your body senses. It brings in stuff through the eyes, through the nose, all, all your five senses. It brings stuff in and then it puts stuff out into the universe. So 
So it, 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 you put in a story, you put a book, you build a building and the universe gets more grand and, and bigger and more ideas and you put out the ideas. And, and that's what's happening is that if you, you take a look at the, the whole idea on, behind quantum physics is the idea that the quantum wave does not break down until there's an observer. And when the quantum wave breaks down, matter appears. So there is no matter before there's an observer. The observer is first, which which makes the idea that consciousness creates matter. We always we always think that that consciousness is emergent, that it comes from matter. No, the the, the, the we create the brain, the 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 the, the, the um the um the consciousness that we're creating this and you'll see this in michael newton stuff where people are building stuff they're building animals they're they're creating animals during their between lives and stuff like that and you you, you get this sort of stuff so every you, you got to get the idea that that consciousness is primary or as max planck who the, won the nobel prize for quantum physics who's the father of quantum physics he said nothing gets behind consciousness so you always have to go back to consciousness is primary consciousness is creating the physical universe so it starts with no physical universe and then in my idea is like consciousness if you've ever had psychedelic experiences when you hit hit this sort of uh samadhi thing everything is calm everything is still so that's my idea and it's just my sort of analogy of what what the what god may be like it's like it's like vibration. It's like the Maya, the Hindus say, when the vibration starts, the illusion starts. And everything is vibration. So uh, the basic consciousness doesn't vibrate. But once it starts to vibrate, matter starts to appear. It starts to, it starts to vibrate. And we're vibrating at one level. The beings are vibrating at another level or at another, we call it another dimension, but it's another vibration. Everything is vibration. So they're creating, we're creating, everything's creating, and the universe is getting bigger and bigger, more magnificent, more grand and stuff like that. And it started off as this little universe. But the idea that we always have this idea that God created everything in the matter world. And no, God's not creating anything. We're the ones creating everything. And that's why when you come to this, this life review thing, that you can't blame God. You can't blame anything else. Oh, God put me in this position. We are ones running the show. We are the ones that are building the universe as we go along. And that's all we're doing. We're coming in. We're building, taking in stuff. We're taking in uh, ideas. We're taking in information. We're putting out. We're building. We're uh, adding to the universe. And the universe gets grander and grander. But consciousness, you have to put, see. Consciousness is primary. And that matter does not appear the quantum wave does not break down and matter does not appear until there's a conscious observer who's measuring so, or measurement. So consciousness is primary. It creates the matter. And then the matter is, we, we confuse it with something that's dead. That's a noun. It's all a verb. It's all alive. And people will tell you that when they, when they have the ayahuasca experience, when they have the high, the high dose ayahuasca experience, they'll say, I suddenly realized everything was alive, conscious and connected. And that's what it is. That, but we don't realize it. We think we we have the illusion of separation. And that's why I say about evil. That's why I wanted to talk about at the MUFON conference this year about evil, because my definition of evil is the, the evil is created by one thing and one thing only: the mistaken belief in separation. And all evil can be traced back to the belief in separation. If you suddenly have the honest idea that you are one with the universe. You're not going to dump stuff in the river. You're not going to kill your brother. You're not going to steal your somebody's stuff or whatever, because you're stealing from yourself. You, that's your, that's part of you. And that's what we're, we're missing. We, we want, we set up uh, almost like football games. So we set up, uh, there's my team and near your team. And then as it goes along and it gets competitive, then of course the referee's working for your side. I mean, it's a dirty referee and you guys are paying them off and your, your guys play dirty and our guys, we got God, we pray to God before for the the, the uh, football game and God's on our side. He's going to pull for us. And he's going to give us a victory. And we start turning it into this victory thing or this this uh, game thing, which is fine, except that you've got to realize the team that wins the Super Bowl is the team where everybody does what they're supposed to do. It's not like you walk in the, foot, foot, the, the huddle and say, oh, hell with you. You think I'm going to run for a pass? Are you kidding? I, I, or block? I'm not going to block. I'm going to get injured. I'm going to run for a pass. Uh, you can somebody else can block and you're not going to win. It's when everybody's doing exactly what they're going to do. And that's where I say, when you start coming down to it, the, the whole uh, alien world starts to look like a socialist or a communist world where it's like a beehive. And that's what, that's what uh, Claude Delong said. It's like a hive mentality and we have yeah. to kill these guys. we got to swat some bugs out of the sky. And it's this idea that everybody's working like, like a bee, like a beehive or uh, where the bee, 
no bee knows what the other bee is doing, and yet they're all doing what they're supposed to be doing to build this hive bigger. And that's what you see on board the ship. There is no hierarchy. Everybody's either wearing the same uniform or they're not wearing any clothes at all. And everybody's just doing their job. There's no chandeliers. There's no leather furniture. There's no food. There's no nothing. It's just people doing their job and 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 creating this kind of stuff. And that's where we've got to move towards the understanding that whatever you do, almost like ecology, which is only 100 years old, the idea of ecology, that whatever you do to the earth comes back to haunt you, that, that you can, you think it's not affecting the earth by dumping stuff and by burning fossil fuels and stuff like that. It's going to come back to haunt you. Whatever you do, you are part of Gaia and, and Gaia is part of you. It's the same as you are part of the universe. And it's this oneness concept that would trade everything off, that would stop all the evil but we were more into the competitive thing about sports and, uh, you know, the, the, they're bad. The, the, the Mexicans are bad and the, you know, the Arabs are bad. And the Jews are bad. And, we, and we, we make these camps. And when we make these camps and we actually believe that we are special, that God called us to, uh, you know, be the, the light on the hill. And these are the evil people. and We need to put them in concentration camps or whatever. That's where it, it's always that separation thing that that that's at the base of this thing, and that's the, maybe what the rule is. Maybe these people aren't even flying the craft. Maybe the idea is just to get across this oneness idea that you become one with the craft, and when you do, you can overcome all this kind of stuff. Is the, the craft alive being? Or is the craft is the craft a a alive physical yeah. being? It's not yeah. like a nuts and bolt. No. Okay. No. It, it, well, it is. Have it you is, seen it the is movie? Have you seen bolts. the movie? Nope. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Nope that came out this past summer? No. It's um look it up after after okay. this podcast. Yeah. The the craft the craft is a a live I didn't get to watch it at all, but the craft yeah. is basically a live entity. It's yeah. it's a disc. It's a flying saucer. Yeah. yeah. But it it it's a it's a it's alive. Yeah. It's crazy. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Are they telling us something? Is that soft disclosure there? Do they oh, know yeah. something that we because, don't know? Sure. You even go back to the movie Firefox with uh, uh, Clint Eastwood back, and that's oh, like yeah. 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. And Firefox, he steals the Russian MiG, and he flies with his mind. And that's the whole thing. And you have to understand that this is going on in Hollywood. And if you ever Jim, ask Jim Semiva and ask him about that, because there was a guy by the name of Chase Brandon. I don't know if you knew about him, but Chase Brandon wrote, wrote a book that was reviewed at least two times by the CIA and he put it out and he was the um, CIA guy to Hollywood. And the idea is that if you're in Hollywood, say you're making a movie and I come and I say, hey, Michael, here you're making a movie on the uh, CIA is involved. Yep. You ever been to the CIA, Michael? Yep. You'd like to go to CIA? You'd like to go for a tour to CIA? We can give you some hints as to how this thing works. You can see how agents actually operate and what they're trying to do is instead of being in front of you and forcing you to stop doing the movie, what they do is they walk beside you and direct you in the way they want you to do it. And they and, and in exchange, we'll give you, and they, they even admit this, that in exchange for presenting the U.S. Air Force in a in a in a in a uh, good light, they'll allow you to use a couple jet fighters, where they'll bring in jet fighters for a scene or something like that. And and so that was Chase Brandon's job was to go and interact with people who are doing stuff on the CIA. And he wrote this book on Hollywood and what uh, on UFOs uh, and how they handled the Roswell uh, situation. And it was a fictional book, which is how they released the story. And he said, if you want a good read, read the book. If you want to learn something, read between the lines. And and that was this whole deal was was that uh, the 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 they're doing this soft disclosure they're putting this stuff in there and they're trying to acclimatize and that and that works because in 2017 they the New York Times released the fact that the government was doing UFOs they were studying UFOs and and we used to I wrote an article it's coming out in a book that's just being released this week and and it was the 64 reasons they decided not to tell you the truth and there was these ideas that the stock market would melt down people think oil is not worth anything uh people would commit suicide if this was all released and what happened after the new york times article nothing absolutely nothing everyone yeah i know that already mm -hmm. okay like where are the aliens from and they just go to the next step and that's one of the reasons why they want to disclose because everything they disclose 
you just go, okay, I knew that already. Okay, now it just leads to the next question. And then you answer that one, it leads to another question. And eventually you're telling them everything. And so they, that's why they try to cut it off and they do it this in this indirect way. And they used, um, in fact, I just found out that my friend Bob Emenegger died, who had done the documentary UFOs Past, Present, Future. Yeah, yeah. And he had a CIA guy on the set the entire time they were filming. He was given a story about it, the CIA alien, channeling an alien in 1959. He was allowed to put it in the documentary. He had this the Haldeman Air Force Base film in his possession, and he was allowed to use eight seconds of that film in the documentary. Do you think and that's, that's real? how they do it? Do you think that's real? Yeah. That, that... Well, Bob Bob told me yeah that he had the film. He said he didn't see it, but Paul Shardle, who actually had seen the film, he was the security manager at Norton Air Force Base, uh, actually. Uh, was going to he's being interviewed by nids and that's why i say you watch what these guys are doing because um nids is nothing more than was uh, nothing more than bob bigelow who had a lot of money bringing in people that uh, i heard three thousand dollars a day as consultants and he bring in you know edgar mitchell and kit green and and you know uh help put off and all these people and he would pick their brains and he, they would go through all these you know and they would look at different things like they were they the reason they contacted me was they were interested in what the canadian government was doing in the early 50s on propulsion what kind of experiments were were they running and stuff like that and i provided that and they were they they investigated skinwalker ranch they investigated black triangles and they were also investigating the holman air force base film so they knew that i knew bob emenegger so some of these people were asking me what did bob tell you you know where's the film all this, as much as they could get out of me and uh, they were friends with Bob and they were talking to Bob and they just discovered that it was in a Navy sink whatever that means that's what Hal Putoff had said and um, so uh, w I, even when I asked Bob I said Bob you told me you had to take the film back to the Pentagon he said yeah I said well Bob there's eight seconds of film there's a room and there's eight seconds of film is that true in the film and he said well yeah and I said well you told me they took it back to the Pentagon what's the eight seconds you, you put eight seconds of the film in there and he said well it didn't show anything i said what do you mean it didn't show anything he said well it didn't show the body the, the aliens and didn't show the craft so he saw this light coming over the hill so they allowed him to use that part of it and then when they when nids was trying to interview they were interviewing everybody like the me they they went to everybody and then they were going to go to Chartle and they were Chartle was going to go to Las Vegas. They had an interview with him and they were, and he's the guy that saw the film. He was going to describe exactly what the film, where it was, what the classification was, all this kind of stuff. And he died in a rollover car accident two hour, two day, two weeks before he was going to be interviewed by NIDS. How convenient. So yeah, that's, that, that, that film is real. And, and there you get this, you know, this, the, these stories where you don't know for sure, but it, you know, you knowing the person behind it, uh, I think it's true. And the other thing about the craft that 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 I have in the book, uh, UFO sky pilots, is this whole thing about people describing the craft being bigger on the inside than outside, which really messes with your mind. And that's where Eric, Eric Davis says they put it on the shelf in 1989 because they couldn't figure it out. And that's what people got to realize is this thing's way beyond anything that we've got. And and especially if the craft is bigger on the inside in the outside these people describe this con constantly that uh, terry lovelace said he went inside the craft it was the size of a football stadium on the inside and uh, though the, there's a report from leno's len stringfield who was in 1970s and 60s and 80s was getting reports from people who had talked about alien autopsies and crashes and stuff like that he had 300 witnesses that had come to him and one of the witnesses described being flown from uh uh, Hawaii to Norton Air Force Base, which is the same place where the, the Holloman Air Force Base was was stored, and he had uh, flown there, and then they had moved him from Holloman two hours away, and he came to a hangar, and he said he went in the hangar, and there was a there was a crane, and from the crane there was a, a netting, and inside the netting was a flying saucer, and he was to go in and he was to film the panels. So in the in the UFO sky pilots, I have actually have the panel from Chris Bledsoe. Chris Bledsoe drew the panel for me with the symbols on the panel, and he was to go in and film these panels with the symbols on them. And he said when he went inside, he said he could have taken a football and thrown it as hard as he could in any direction and not hit a wall. It was that big. It was only a, like it was in a in a little thing be hanging from a crane. And that's the part that really messes when people think, oh, it's just nuts and bolts. It's just it's like so far beyond. And that's why they, they've had the craft and, or in the, the Wilson Leak document. I always point out when I read the Wilson Leak document, I knew what they're talking about when they said, oh, we have a craft. They have a craft and they think it'll fly. And I go, I know exactly what they're talking about. They got a craft. 
and they can't start it because you need to put your hand on a panel and they haven't got the right person to put their hand on the panel to start the thing up. So they got the thing, they can walk, and it was gifted to them. It was given to them. The, the, the craft was given to them and they, get, they can walk around inside and they can do all the stuff they want, but they can't, they can't fly it. They think it'll fly, it's intact, but they can't fly it. And that makes sense that it's consciousness driven. Almost like when you put your thumb on a, on a you know, a, your cell phone or something yeah. to, or your face print or something like that. That's what it is. It's like a lock that you, to start the thing up and you need the right person to actually make the craft fly. So I want to stay on consciousness just for a second, uh, before yeah. moving to the, uh, UFO discussion. And, um, one thing that, so you, you mentioned ayahuasca a while ago. And I'm I'm not a drug user, but do not judge those whom I've experimented, of course, with. Except for except for caffeine, though. Except for yes, I love caffeine. Love caffeine. Okay. (laughs) And 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 I have experimented with with a lot of things in the past, but I don't judge those who use use, especially those who are trying to expand their consciousness. Uh, But do you think certain drugs may be needed and or researched more when it comes to learning more about consciousness? Because even though I'm not recreationally using certain drugs to expand my consciousness i do believe that they may need they may need to be or they may be needed to free our mind grant from the limitations of our true potential maybe that's why it's so hard to expand our consciousness out of this 3d prison planet reality because we're we're possibly genetically modified in ancient times to possibly modern day maybe one variable at play when it comes to our genetic modification Maybe that there is a locking mechanism in our DNA molecular level that inhibits us from expe- exploring our consciousness on an extra dimensional level. What do you think about all that, Grant? I think they're trying to get us to expand consciousness, but consciousness doesn't make any money. People how come, into- how come other people in the, in the UFO community, other than you and maybe a few others, really don't talk about the consciousness aspect? Well, they're they're more into the sighting thing. They're more into um, uh, that's what Dr. Eric Walker asked us back in 1990. He he knew what was going on. He was president of Penn State University. And he was chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis, and that's where Jasons came from, and that's where uh, the um, uh, DARPA came from. And and the, there's no doubt that DARPA is is involved with the UFO technology, uh, running projects. So that's where they came. And he asked us at one point. He said, "Okay, admit it." Admit it. All you're interested, you're just curious. Admit it. That's all you want. And that's true. People are just curious. They just want to know. It's like a story. Tell me. Mm-hmm. It's like when they, when they heard that the UFO uh, thing was uh, true, true out of the New York Times. Everybody, yeah, okay, I knew that. Okay, now what's next? Like, where'd they come from? And everybody's just interested in the story. And I would guarantee that if you were to take it, and I've tried to find this online, and I haven't found it, they, 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 you get people in, say, in America who... Uh, identify the the top hundred things that are interested to they're interested in. Yeah, uh, UFOs would not make the top hundred. People just don't think about it. We we think about it, but we got to realize we're like a couple thousand people who uh, go to conferences and whatever. The 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 number of researchers can't be more than five thousand or six thousand, and the population of the world is eight billion. So you got to realize that we're we're in this little bubble, and it, the idea is to get it out. And I think the the whole idea of uh, wherever we created, uh, and I, I still believe we do it through consciousness that we created, um, like mushrooms to to save this information because mushrooms are like four billion years old or whatever or whatever they are. They're way older than than humans, and that all that information is contained in them, and uh, that that those things are there for us to um, or accidentally and then. That person becomes the shaman and he starts to bring up these ideas. But what's happened now that's changed everything was John Hopkins University. No doubt about it. John Hopkins pushed the, the envelope. And because uh, the guy that was running it uh, had, was a meditator, he had done life-to-long meditation. And he had, he had uh, sort of uh, had, I guess, experiences. He won't talk about his experiences. But that he's the guy that pushed it. And he wanted to get psilocybin under a test condition to um, – to, see if it would work for um, tobacco um, uh, addiction. And it found out that it was an 80% success after a year. People are still off after one dose. And that the people that came out said it was 70% of the people who had their, their high dose psilocybin uh, uh, experience said it was, it was uh, one of the top five experiences of their life. 
Uh, I think 70% said it was the top experience of their life. And you get in the, combined with the death of a parent, the, the birth of a child, it was that kind of event. And uh, so they started to push this and that's what opened it up. And, I, and what you're seeing now, it, that's where I think consciousness will make the move that, that, that psychedelics may save the world. That uh, because John Hopkins did it now, uh, New York University is doing it. It's being done at UCLA, uh, all over the place. There, it's being it's being legalized in for uh, addiction purposes in in Denver, and you start to see this thing open up. And that and and so they're doing it again. They're doing it for the money. So uh, uh, there's all these people trying to patent psilocybin and every uh, offshoot of psilocybin because they realize they're going to be huge money. But they're not interested in the the consciousness thing. Same as as the quant quantum physics thing when you see quantum physics they discover quantum physics this idea that you have the dual slit experiment and and when you observe it then it turns to a, into a matter or you have two particles the each end of the universe and the one you take change the spin and the entangled particle change at exactly the same time as if there's no time and space and stuff like that and when, when it came down to it that had had these very philosophical implications but like ufos nobody cared and Feynman denies he said it, but the famous expression was said, shut up and calculate. Don't worry about this uh, the, the philosophical implications of why the, these things change. At, you know, they can change in the dual slit experiment. Forget about all this weird stuff about what it might mean. Just do the calculations because you can build cell phones. That's how you build cell phones in the electronic industry. And so everybody's into making money. That's why in psilocybin, everybody's trying to patent the psilocybin. Everybody's trying to patent that they're not really interested in the experience. But what happens with the experience is when you get somebody who takes a high-dose psilocybin, for a, a, a depression, which it works for, for any type of addiction, cocaine, nic heroin addiction, they use it. And it's all these different labs are now doing this. The people come out with this awakening, this oneness experience. Like not only did I get off drugs, but oh my God, I realized everything's connected. And then mm -hmm. you're starting to see it open up where this is this is something I don't think they can stop, that this is, is moving at an incredible rate and there's more London colleges doing experiments. There's and and all these experiments about the idea that you would think oh you know if you take psilocybin, it's gonna make your brain light up. And they suddenly realize, oh no, it shuts your brain down. It and that's meditation. It's shutting the brain down, the default mode in that it shuts that down. And people are starting to realize this this idea. And what else has changed because of this is that consciousness is now allowed to be talked about in universities. It's the number one subject with physicists is to try to figure out the the, the thing of consciousness because there's a Nobel Prize in it. When I started in 2012, uh, nobody would talk to me. There's still a lot of people in the UFO community are, are into the, 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 either the idea of uh, being uh, entertained or they're interested in the nuts and bolts thing. Can we get technology out of it? That's why I believe that a lot of the invisible college stays invisible because they, they're not going to get out. They're not going to come out and tell you what they've discovered about the UFO technology because they want to patent it. They want to make some money. There's a lot of money to be made in this, this sort of stuff. If you can get in somebody's head and talk in their head, if you can put a bull inside a locked trailer, four bulls inside a locked trailer, if you can you know, mutilate a cow three feet away from somebody who's standing there and didn't even know, know that it happened and stuff like that, uh, there's a lot of technology involved here and everybody's trying to get onto the technology. And the reason it's not moving is because there is no technology yet. People, except for uh, Tyler D, who, uh, you know, is in the American Cosmic book, he's got 40 inventions. And the one apparently he sold for the company for $100 million on NASDAQ. So that's one of his 40 patents. And so you can imagine what kind of money is involved. And his are all medical inventions that he was sort of, he believes that he was given by the beings. And he has this technique for using this consciousness thing where he, he you know, drinks the water, he sleeps for eight hours and gets up and then goes back to bed for an hour and then gets the glass of water and sits in the sun and drinks the water. And then suddenly they start talking to him. And this is a guy from NASA. This is a guy that's running the show. He's like the main guy. And, and uh, I've talked to the guy and he told me about his experience with the, the figure at the end of the bed and all this kind of stuff. And I sort of knew the guy and uh, he was actually the guy that showed me the portals. He's the one that showed me the, the, the paintings from Hughes Aircraft. And I couldn't figure out why he was showing me these photographs from Hughes Aircraft. And then when he told me that's where the jump room, I went, like years <laughs> later, I went, hey, I, why was he showing me the, the, why was he there? He must have been, he must have believed this was true. Why would he go to the building? And why would he show me the photographs if it's all nonsense? 
And uh, so then you start to see this stuff that uh, consciousness has to catch on in terms of money. When people can start making money at it, then you can see all sorts of people jumping on it. Right now, uh, everybody's into, uh, you know, tell me a story about uh, an abduction, like even fear. Fear sells. I mean, I remember, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or, or weird stories that, that you went on a trip with the flying saucer and stuff. I remember lecturing at uh, Alien, no, Consciousness Life Expo in Los Angeles. And I was there and uh, uh, the blue alien guy was there and uh, Corey, Corey Good. Good. And Corey Good was speaking and it was like huge money to go to this thing, 75 bucks or something like that for a ticket. And so I got a free ticket. They said, oh, here's a free ticket. And I said, nah, I'm, not really, I'm not really interested in the story. It wasn't, I sort of had real doubts about it. I said, I really don't want to follow it. I don't even want to listen to it. And they said, well, here's a free ticket in case you want to go. So then it was eight o'clock and I go, yeah, I guess I'll go down and see what, see what the story is. Like, why is this guy so popular? I went down there and I went to the hallway and there's all these people lined up in the hallway. It's eight o'clock. I'm going, well, come they're still lined up in the hallway? It's eight o'clock. And they were just furious. And they said, well, man, we sold all these tickets so we can't get in the thing. And there were 600 people in this auditorium and they had sold like, I guess, 700 people, 700 tickets. So there was 100 people standing in the hall and they were furious because they paid all this money for this ticket and they wanted, they wanted to get in. And they said, oh, so they had a second session, but he was really popular. And my lecture, so he's, he's in this thing, you're, you're either selling fear. You see the biggest websites are people are selling aliens fighting with each other, evil aliens, or fear, you got to be really afraid they're coming to get you. Or these stories about, oh, they took me to these different planets, and you know I was underground mm -hmm. with, the, with the aliens and stuff. That's the kind of stuff that sells. So I had 35 people in my lecture across the hall. He had 700 people at three times the price that. And that's the thing is that people are into this sort of thing. So when you can sort of sell it as as fear or you can uh, make some money from this. And that, that's what's happening. I think why why psilocybin in particular is taking off is that everybody's trying to patent this. They're trying to patent it because they realize you can use it for medical purposes. And if you can get a hold of the clinic and you got the clinic and you got the patent and all these clinics are gonna be taking people with depression and trying to sm stop smoking and stuff and you've got the patent, this is worth like billions and billions of dollars. What's up guys, Michael James with Beyond the Forbidden. If you want to receive extra content that's not viewed anywhere else, support Beyond the Forbidden on Patreon to receive plus content that is only exclusive to members of Beyond the Forbidden. Content like the full two-hour podcast, bonus shows, full-length video interviews, behind-the-scenes footage with guests, and much more. So what do you have to lose? Go to patreon.com forward slash beyond the forbidden. That's patreon.com forward slash beyond the forbidden and become a member of Beyond the Forbidden for just five bucks a month. And also check the description for the links.